Welcome back to the MicroConf On Air podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rob Walling. This is another MicroConf Talk episode, and this week I'm introducing a talk by none other than Mr. Patrick McKenzie, better known as Patio11 on the internet. This talk is from MicroConf 2013. It's called Building Things to Help Sell the Things You Build. Or, and this was like an alternate title that wound up in the abstract for the talk, How to Embed Marketing Development in Your Business as a Repeatable Practice, Why It Isn't Easy, How You Can Get Started, and the Single Most Important Thing You Can Do to Improve Your Growth. This talk is shockingly good, and it covers things like SEO and AdWords, A-B testing, conversion optimization, funnel analytics, onboarding, lifecycle emails, drip marketing, and he finishes it with a pretty moving personal testimony on the importance of discussing mental health issues in the developer community. So there's a lot here, and, and it's, a, it's a really good talk. Add to that, Patrick is always funny and adds humor to his talks very elegantly. Even though this one's more than an hour and 10 minutes, it is worth every minute. So I hope you enjoy Building Things to Help Sell the Things You Build by Patrick McKenzie. Howdy ho, everybody. My name is Patrick McKenzie, perhaps better known as Patio11 on the internet. And I went back and looked at my last two MicroConf uh, talks, and it seems like I always do a kind of sad me fish out of water story from Japan to start them off. So I think I will, but this is more of a happy fish out of water story. So if you remember, a few years ago, I was a salaryman in central Japan and really not liking life. And due to this whole entrepreneurship thing, I was able to quit that. But even after quitting, after seven months of the worst, man, overtime hell that I'd ever been put through, I had severe burnout bordering on clinical depression. And a good friend of mine came up to me one day. He's like, Patrick, you need to take a break from it all. You know, stop trying to make no headway on your business like you've been doing for a while. Get out of the house, meet some people, get back and connected to human life. You should come to a barbecue with me. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll come to the barbecue. Day of the barbecue rolls around. And I woke up, and depression is a funny thing. Like, And maybe clinical depression is a little strong, but it was getting close to that. I woke up, and I'm like, I just can't get out to a car to go to the barbecue. He was going to pick me up at my door. And I said, I called him up. I'm like, Keith, I can't make the barbecue for you, uh, today. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm feeling sick. And he said, F that, you're coming. And so Keith drags me, in the door, drags me into the car. We go out an hour and a half to the barbecue. I'm kind of miserable. I get to the barbecue. You know, you're noshing on sausages. Still kind of miserable. And then I see her. And uh, her is uh, Miss Ruriko Shimada. She's sitting in, the back of the, uh, sitting in the back of the room. She was the most beautiful woman I had ever laid my eyes on. And we got to talking a little while. In addition to being the most beautiful woman I'd ever laid my eyes on, she was the funniest, happiest woman I'd ever talked to. And we got to talking about a lot of things, business, life, quitting the day job, and uh, philosophy. And she mentioned, my favorite philosopher, very well known in Japan, is B. Yonsei. And, uh, and so I'm like, this is one of those moments where your life flashes before your eyes. Like, I'm about to do the most awkward thing I've ever done in my life, but for her, I will do it. We were sitting in a quiet park in the middle of central Japan, surrounded by other Japanese people who don't know me. And I just st stood up, you know, the geeky, white guy, very introverted baritone. It's like, I'm going into full-on diva mode here. I'm up in the club, we just broke up, I'm doing my own little thing. And I did the full All the Single Ladies song for three minutes. And if you think that was awkward like five seconds ago, imagine doing it three minutes in front of 200 people you don't know and who have no reason to like you and could t potentially call the cops and report a drunken, disorderly foreigner. But um, 
couple years a couple years later, I asked, so when was the moment when you knew that this was going to happen? And she said, about the time when you said put a ring on it. And that did happen last year. So that is my funny story. Thanks very much. Uh, funny story over with. Now we're going to talk a little more about uh, software and business and whatnot. Uh, you can follow the slides at this bit.ly link right here if you're in the back. If you're in the front and don't need it, I'd suggest you know, keep looking to me because the presentation is part of the presentation, I guess. Um, so my original business, I'm not going to uh, belabor it over the heads because the 50% of the room has been here for two years has heard enough about bingo to uh, uh, round out your life. And if you think you're bored of it, I've been doing it for eight years. Oh, God. I never want to talk about bingo again, ever. But um, Bingo Card Creator makes bingo cards for elementary school teachers. And it's the business that kind of accelerated me out of the day job into wonderful opportunities like this. And um, like Jason Cohen mentioned in his talk, Bingo Card Creator is doing business on hard mode. Because you should not do a B2C uh, business as a micropreneur. You should definitely target business to business. You have so much higher lifetime value. You'll have such an easier time selling it, easier time supporting it. Ask me about all the times when a teacher emails me, emails me in a panic and says, you've taken away the blue Googles, and I can only access the green Googles. I like the blue Googles better. You need to give them back. It's not happy. So um, now, there have been other people up here who have millions and millions of dollars in revenue, and I think some of you folks in the audience who are just getting started on your entrepreneurial journey or maybe haven't even launched yet are thinking, wow, I can't really relate to somebody who sold four businesses and has multiple millions of dollars of revenue every month. Um, so we were all there once, just like you. Like 2006, did six months work on Bingo Card Creator. You might remember the story. That made like $1,000. wasn't even a blip on my you know, annual tax return next to the underpaid Japanese salaryman day job where I was making less than 30 k a year. BTW, if it wasn't totally obvious from the last two years, don't take a job as a salary man at a Japanese company. <laughs> so um, not to repeat what we went over the last couple of years, but over time, gradually grew Bingo Card Creator to the point where it was like cratering the approach to the day job. And I'm like, I can finally get out of this hellhole and start doing things that I actually like. Um, so one of the things that I did after quitting the day job was started my new business. We haven't talked about that much yet, so we're going to talk a little bit about appointment reminder. Appointment Reminder does phone calls to the customers of professional services businesses to tell them, please make your appointment on time. I did one wrong thing with Appointment Reminder, and I want to tell you about this. So when I told Peldy that I was going to start with this business, he's like, is the most passionate thing in your life um, optimizing the scheduling at you know, small doctor's offices? And I said, oh, heck no, but it's a great business anyhow. He's like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. You're going to burn out on it. Should have listened to Peldy. But I'm still going forward with this business. But I know kind of it's a mistake. And it would be 10x where it is right now if I had just listened to Peldy. So listen to Peldy. If you're wondering, you know, of all the niches I could go into, should I go for the one that sounds like a better business, obje business objectively? Or should I go for the one that sounds like a solid business, but that really I have a burning fire in my belly? Go for the thing with a burning fire in the belly. Um, so weird thing about me and transparency, I've always been super transparent with my numbers except for appointment reminder. I've got a like, weird kind of semi-legitimate reason, semi-excuse, which says that if I ever tried to take investment for it, I don't want VCs to like, you know, be able to look at my growth chart and uh, quote it against me in like, discussions. So um, I'm not going to tell you the numbers from appointment reminder today, but I will show you some of the behind the scenes stuff for it. But anyhow, if you've been here the last two years and seen my microcomp stuff, 2010 and 2011 were pretty good for me. Quit the day job. Yay. Um, I started doing consulting. 
uh, for a variety of uh, fairly well-renowned software companies that had products that were much better than Bingo Card Creator and just trying to make them as sophisticated as Bingo Card Creator is on the marketing front. Like say, Fall Creek Software, a few other companies. I worked for WP Engine uh, for a little bit. But yeah, 2011, aside from appointment reminder, not on screen, consulting and Bingo Card Creator where it's at for me. 2012 was an excellent year. One major reason. Uh, Rudico and I got married. So, um, two things to say about this. Number one, one of the awesome things about being on this journey, if you can you know, get to the point where you can quit your day job, is it won't be obvious from the next graph, but I took three months off of work like entirely um, for my wedding, for my family coming over to Japan, paddling around with me, for going out for my honeymoon and whatnot. And that's one reason to not take investment, by the way, because if you, you know, tell your investors at Sequoia, hey guys, I'm piecing out for three months, but I'll be back later, uh, they won't exactly react to that with the awesome, you know, congratulations on your wedding. We expect you to be here at 7.55 in the morning and do 19 hours like all of our other portfolio companies. So um, just FYI for lifestyle design, running your own business is where it's at. Um, and another thing about this, uh, so it doesn't look like it, but this is the most important part of the presentation. And I think this is something we hammered on last year in MicroConf, but I want to mention it again explicitly. I don't have kids yet, but when I do have kids, I want to teach them that in addition to growing up and becoming, say, a teacher or a policeman or a doctor, these jobs that are obviously socially important, that becoming an entrepreneur and providing value in the world is a righteous and awesome path for them to walk down. And that's true. And our businesses have many stakeholders, you know, employees, customers, uh, vendors that we, you know, we're providing checks to every month. And all of them have a great, um, you know, we have a great responsibility towards them to create value and to treat them in a uh, just and honest fashion. But more than any of those folks, even more than ourselves, we have a responsibility to our families that we get into this business to support them and to ultimately achieve the goals outside of the business. It's just a mechanism for living your life, not a reason for living your life. And when I think of reasons for living my life and why I have this business tied into it to such a degree, I like to think of three L's, to, to love, to live, and to learn. And so you should really have those in your business journey. If you don't, stop. Figure out whatever you need to fix. When I was a salary man, I was not really feeling it. I needed to fix that. If you don't have it, fix that. It will be a transformative change in your life. And that is far, far more important than all the stuff that I'm going to teach you to make you thousands and thousands of dollars with a single mouse click. Seriously. OK, so 2012, um, after taking the three months off and whatnot, uh, yeah, revenue went kind of crazy. So this was rescaled from the last graphs. The other years, I was like, you know, crater in the approach to the bridge of 80,000 and went up to almost 200. And I was kind of happy, especially with two weddings to pay for, one in America, one in uh, Japan. Um, there's a product here, training. We're going to talk about that later, my consulting business, and Bingo Card Creator bringing up the bottom. And of course, still not showing appointment reminder. So um, I have three goals in this talk, in addition to the most important thing that I've just already told you. Number one, for the folks who are not launched yet, I want to inspire you a little bit. For the folks who have already uh, launched, I want to you know, do meaningful things for your business. And for everybody, I want to buy you your ticket to MicroConf 2014. 
And Rob said he wants everyone to come away with three actionable things. I've got five stars in this presentation, which will make you several thousand dollars of revenue for less than two hours of work. So if you do nothing else, please implement at least one of those five stars as one of your actionable things. Feel free to implement all of them. This is the fundamental SAS equation, and it's SAS, number, SAS 101 for the folks who are very into it. But some of you folks are just starting out in your journey, so I thought I'll say it explicitly. The sum of your revenue over any space you want to look at, whether that's all of your marketing channels, all your customers, is the sum of how much traffic you get times what your conversion rate is throughout your entire funnel times the average revenue per user over 1 minus your churn rate. This is very important that these numbers are Increases in these are multiplicatively effective. So if, like me, you suffer from BADD, Business Attention Deficit Disorder, and you just have to be working on a different thing every day because you hate you know, doing the grind on churn for every day for six weeks in a row, if you take each of these numbers and increase traffic by 2x, increase in conversion by 2x, increase ARPU by 2x, and decrease churn by half, the net impact on your business is 16x improvement in revenue. And that, for most of you, will more or less like 16x profits. Um, that's very aggressive, by the way. Like, traffic is the hardest to optimize for. Um, I talked about this extensively uh, already. You had Dave Collins' presentation about SEO earlier, Rob's presentation. Um, I'll tell you something that I realized after a client told it to me. And I hate it, but it's true and useful. So I will tell it to you anyhow. Joel Spolsky said, uh, in introducing me to somebody at the company. So this is the bingo card kid who figured out that if you're an S SEO expert, it totally, uh, he didn't use the word raffle stomps, but it was a little explicit, so I won't say it. It, it totally raffle stomps the value of running your own little small shitty software business. And I'm like, oh, true, oh, true. Um, so there's that. So most of you will not be able to like just push a button and 2x the amount of traffic you're going to get. Uh, conversion rate optimization is actually much easier than traffic optimization, believe it or not. Um, you can see my presentation last year on like A-B testing and funnel analytics. All of you can do this. It's going to take you weeks or months to see results. So I'd encourage you to look instead at optimizing your average revenue per user, because many of you can accomplish it with like five minutes of work that you could do today or even during the presentation. Please don't do that. Do it later tonight. Do it later tomorrow. Do it after you get home, whatever. And um, churn rate. You can run your own little operation retention like Rob did earlier. I'm going to show you explicit ways to do that. OK, star number one, charge more. And I stole this, present, this slide off my presentation from the last two years, and I'm going to repeat it every microconf I'm ever invited to, because many of you haven't heard it yet, and the rest of you who have heard it, many of you haven't listened. Um, I didn't listen to my own darn advice until this year, so I started to. So I don't know if you can see it from here, but a uh, point reminder used to be at 9, 29, 79, and then there was an enterprise plan, which was really call me, because I wouldn't let anyone actually sign up for it. It's currently at 29, 79, 199. I just totally killed the $9 plan and added a 199 plan at the top. Why did I add that extra plan? Because when I had people calling me, they said, I'm just a bit above the you know, $79 plan, which works out to like 15 appointments a day. And if you have you know, more than three employees, you blow through 15 appointments a day very, very quickly. And somebody would say, I have five employees, so I need just a little bit more, but not enough to be like a big, freaking enterprise. We're not St. Jude's Hospital and going to deploy this across 100,000 desktops tomorrow. That could actually happen. Um, so what do you have for us? I'm like, I've got nothing. I should have something. So I made something. $199 office plan. Now let's look at the appointment reminder sales graph. So 
Um, this is scaled, so I don't have actual revenue numbers on here. It's scaled at the, the month of the first microconf, which I think was June 2000, 2011, is $1. And then goes up and to the right. I want to point you to a wee big of a jump here. It's $3 to $5. Um, this is actually like my marriage right here. So I was actually not working at all during this period, and the only thing that happened there was my designer pushing the push the $100, $199 a month plan live to the website, which added like two months worth of recurring revenue every month, and then you know continued going in a much more dramatic fashion. So charge more. Okay, so lifecycle emails for software as a service businesses. Didn't we talk about drip email marketing last year? Yes, and I never repeat the same topic in two conference talks. We're going to talk about lifecycle emails, which is a different way to use email. How is it different than drip email marketing? Well, typically, a lifecycle email is not something that, like uh, Nathan Berry and Brennan were talking about, where you're convincing someone of your, convincing them to trust you and then eventually selling them. It's after they're already in the trial or they're in a commercial relationship with you you're going to send them exactly the right email at exactly the right time tied into their action with your software to push them into some sort of additional conversion with you. Lifecycle emails generally require a little more specific application logic and some you know, deep thinking into what your funnel looks like. Um, the good part is that's the hard part. Like after you know what the funnel looks like and you, you know, know where the, the points are in your application where you can uh, push somebody a little to the left, a little to the right, and good stuff happens. You don't really need to be a, a copywriting genius for them. You don't need much traffic. I've seen people who like, have awesome results from lifecycle emails when they're sending out like, a number of emails per month that you can count on your hands. Okay, so you heard Jason Cohen mention in the first presentation at MicroConf, which bought you several tickets to MicroConf for the next several years, but we'll say it again. Um, if, what was it, if cash is king, then annual billing is God? But what about the atheists in the room who didn't implement annual billing when you started out? Is it too late? No, repent and you can be saved. You can send out an email right now to the people who are on monthly billing and say, hey, thanks for being such a dedicated, reliable customer of us. In return for this, we're going to give you a uh, free month of the service if you just upgrade to annual billing today. It'll cost you blah. We'll reset the clock on uh, your subscription until blah. Clear here to get started. And then you just put them, send them to a page on the website where it repeats that and puts an OK button there. This can have conversion rates of between 10 and 25%. Because people, you know, some folks who aren't ready to do annual billing when they're on your pricing page, after they've kicked the tires for a few months and you know, they're sending out 200 appointment reminders to their customers every month and their customers are saying, this is awesome. Please, I wish every doctor I worked with did this. They're like, yeah, I'm totally going to be here next year. Wait, a free month? That's free money to me. Sure, boom, and they just click the one button. And then them clicking that one button means you get 11 or 10 months of cash flow in your pocket right now. And depending on what your pricing structure looks like, that can be, um, you know, so when you work out the conversion rate math here, that can be $200 in cash money for every email you send. Buys your microconf ticket. Okay. So we talked about re, uh, increasing your average revenue per user. How do you do that in a, in a way that your users will appreciate, but without having to do a whole lot of work? So many of you have different plans which are segregated based on some numerical quota, right? And the idea is, let's say you let somebody have 300 appointments a month, or 20 gigabytes of disk space, or whatever it is. And probably, if they go over to like you know, 305 or 330, 
you say, hey, you need to step up to the next plan. But consider Bob. Bob is at the $79 plan, where he has a quota of 300. And he's at 280 appointments. So he's within his quota. Is Bob happy with that? At a lot of companies, Bob is not happy. Bob is a little scared, because Bob thinks any day now, he could accidentally run over his quota. And maybe Bob has dealt with people who aren't as wonderful people as you before, like, say, a phone company or something. What happens when you run over your quota with a phone company? Either you get charged, like, you know, six bucks per SMS, or they just shut you down and your business folds in the middle of the night because you picked the wrong thing on a pricing plan two years ago. So Bob's a little scared about being you know, that close to quota. So why don't we send Bob an email and say, hey, Bob, we empathize with you. We know you're running up close against your quota. Why don't you upgrade and get a little headroom so you have the peace of mind of knowing that this will always be around there for you? So I did this at a consulting client. Um, so this is, by the way, a, for those of you who like doing consulting, this is a good story of something you can do at your consulting clients. And feel free to like steal this exact thing and do it for them and make them a lot of money. 4.30 o'clock rolled around at a consulting client, and they said, all right, we're pretty much done for the day. And I said, well, we got 30 more minutes. Let's see the most money I can make you in 30 minutes. So I went over to their lead engineer, and I said, I want, to run you, I want you to run me a SQL query. And they have like three numbers that if you go up, you have to go to the next, next thing. I said, tell me anyone who's within 20% of quota on any of your three numbers, and spit me out a CSV file. Got the CSV file. It was a lot of folks. And I said, all right, now I want you to make three plans that are your current you know, higher tiered plans, but just with a bit of a discount built in. And I'm going to spend 30 minutes writing out an email that basically writes itself saying, you are on the silver plan. You should upgrade to the gold plan because you're within 20% of your quota. If you do, um, you know, you'll get headroom. And uh, because we want to make this an easy decision for you, we'll kick you a 20% discount for life. And then just push the send button on that email. That made them thousands of dollars in that last 30 minutes a day that they were just going to throw away. And in terms of like client relations, do you think anybody remembers anything else we did that week? We made them a lot more money than thousands of dollars. But all the CEO talks about when she talks to other CEOs about you should hire this kid is, dude, we just had 30 minutes, and he made me like $6,000 by pressing a button. Um, for many of you, this is like plural percentage of revenue with 30 minutes of work. So do it. Buy your ticket to MicroConf next year. OK, so the title of this talk was like building systems that help you sell the things you're already building. I will encourage you, if you don't already have it, to have a little dashboard where you do your customer support activities that just shows you everybody who signed up for your service and some level of uh, signal on how much they're actually using it. So for example, here's just something I grabbed off of my dashboard and then whited out all the names, because that would be kind of bad. You can see here's somebody signed up for the small business plan, and he's using it pretty heavily, 115 appointments a month. And it can, you know, it can be an appointment for me or whatever the metric of interest is in your business. And doesn't use the recurring feature at all. And he's billing, and his next uh, charge is on May 28th. And this is something as I'm doing, you know, answering my email and doing routine customer support, I'm routinely looking at this and just kind of seeing patterns out of the corner of my eye. And doing a report like this takes like 20 minutes in Ruby on Rails, and then you get it forever. And it'll be the first thing you see every day when you wake up and start doing customer support emails. Just put it in a dashboard. And then even if you only have a few customers, you, know, you don't have enough to do uh, statistically significant A-B testing. But if you've got five customers on this dashboard, that's five little data points that you're looking at every day. And your brain is making connections. One connection you might make is 
So I have one part of the dashboard which shows active trial accounts, and obviously this is just a sample, versus canceled trial accounts. This is way, way small text, I apologize. But the thing that you see of active trial accounts, people who have given me their credit card and not yanked it away from my hot little hand, they're using 158 appointments this month, 149 appointments this month. And of canceled trial accounts, didn't schedule an appointment, didn't schedule an appointment, didn't schedule an appointment, scheduled 11 appointments, didn't schedule an appointment. Uh-huh. So if you never use, okay, this is obvious in retrospect, but if you never use appointment reminder to remind people of their appointments, apparently you don't want to pay me money for it. Cool. So how do I increase usage of appointment reminder, which will make them not yank their credit card out of my hot little hands and let my revenue go up? So first you create a kind of like a model of your customer's decision-making process when they're going through your trial. Mine is really, really simple. They start the trial, and then one of two things happens. Either they succeed with it, they get their 120 clients a month in, the software works because it works, and they are so happy when the month rolls around because I've saved them thousands of dollars, or they get confused about the software, maybe they can't get it set up, maybe they can't figure out how to port their own practices number into it, whatever, my fault. But they don't get into scheduling all their appointments. So I figure, how can I make it more likely that they succeed with this rather than they get confused? So I have an uh, email sequence that goes out during my trial. Day zero, you know, the day they sign up, they get the same email that somebody gets from every service they sign up for. Thanks for signing up for it, blah. You know, it's obviously generated by a computer and most people don't actually read it. But on day three, and it's probably a little late, I send him an email coming from myself. We'll go through all of these in detail. Say, hey, I'm the CEO. If you have any questions, write me an email. I'll always write back. And on day 20, the computer runs a little heuristic and says, are they really succeeding with this trial? If yes, sell them on going to the full version at the end of the month. If they're not succeeding, try to rescue the trial, because trials that cancel are worth nothing to me, obviously, right? And then on day 27, I just tell them, just FYI, three days from now, I'm going to charge your credit card. I want to be totally above board about that. Let's go into the emails in, um, in detail. And again, don't strain, strain your eyes too much. My copy is not Joanna's copy. It's not really all that exciting. I just, in my welcome email, the auto-generated thing, establish expectations for the trial, and I tell them what I want them to do with it. Because people, if you just throw them, like we talked last year, if you just throw them into a piece of software, they don't know, how do I get value out of this? I tell them, you know what you want to do right now? Well, first you should take the tour that's built in the software, but in addition to that, put in your own number, put in your client's appointments, ask me if you have any questions. And I give them a little bit of a getting started guide. I also say, by the way, I'm the founder and CEO. I know you could be buying this from a billion dollar a year company, and if you ever talk to them, you'll be talking to some uh, outsourced customer service worker in some low wage country who can't actually do anything for you. But if you talk to me, I can fix anything. I've got the magic rail stuff. And uh, please write me at any time. So the third day email, my little personalized welcome email. Uh, you notice this, this has nice design, and by nice, I mean I bought it from ThemeForest for, I kid you not, $2. Um, but uh, I send a non-designed email, which looks like I just typed it into a computer, my personalized welcome, and it just says, hey, I'm Patrick, I saw you signed up for the trial a few days ago. I'm the CEO of the company, and I run development on the product. If you have any questions, email me. And it's styled to look like I'm sending it one-to-one, -one, even though I you know, never lied to the customer, but giving them the expectation that if they write back to me, I will write them back isn't a lie, right? Announce my availability and ask them for an email. Some friends slash internet buddies I know will say at the bottom of this, it's sent from my iPhone. And that's a lie, so I don't do that. But um, a lot of folks do have this automatically sent by the computer to not be like 30 minutes to the dot after they sign up, but like 27 minutes to say, ooh, I'm really 
you know, on top of it. And since I'm 14 hours away in Japan, I don't really love doing that because most of the time they'll email me in the back of the night and I'll get to them the next morning. But for many of you, I think that's a good choice. So that day 20, which is honestly kind of late, I could probably move it up a little bit. Um, when I do the check to see if the free trial is going well, if it's going really well, I use their own data against them, quote unquote. I figure out how many appointments that they've uh, already scheduled for this month and how many I've successfully reminded and how many no-shows I've saved them. And I say, based on my predictions and being the appointment reminder guy and knowing how this works across a couple hundred companies now, we've saved you $350 worth of staff time and predictably about $600 worth of revenue. BTW, a week from now, we're going to charge you 79 bucks. And uh, then I just ask for the sale. I'm like, you should probably you know, do that because it's going to make you look like a hero. And uh, I should probably give an immediate incentive in this email for, you know, we're going to charge you a, a week from now anyhow. But if you want to you know, step that up to today, I'll give you, like Erica said, a 30-minute consultation on how to run your business better because I'm good at small business or whatever, whatever the appropriate thing is for your audience. This email grants money. But unfortunately, not all trials go well. What happens if they don't do anything in the trial and they get to day 20? I try to figure out why it isn't going well. So first I say, hey, um, look, and I'm totally non-judgmental here. I, I say, look, I'm a small businessman myself. I know sometimes I just get so busy and don't have time to do one more thing. So if there's anything I can fix for you, like you got stuck at some point and getting it into onboarding, just tell me what it is. If this is just a bad month for you, and you need to come back to it later, tell me. I will extend your trial by a month for free. There's no reason a one-month trial has to be just a one-month trial. I mean, you, you are the captain of your own ship, right? If it's a two-month trial for anybody you say it is, then it's a two-month trial for anybody you say it is. And I don't have great uptake to, on that. You know, I save maybe one out of five trials this way, but one out of five trials going from zero value to me to several hundred dollars of value to me is a win, right? This is also a great opportunity for customer development because if somebody says, yeah, you know, I, I kicked it around a little bit, but it isn't really what I need, I say, oh, great, um, sorry about that because I wanted to create value for you. But can I ask just for helping out everybody else, what did you need? And maybe they weren't looking quite for appointment reminder. Maybe they were looking for that uh, thing somebody else was saying was, I really need follow-up after the appointment. And I could inform directions for later product growth or for me fixing problems in, within the product. Um, I'm stealing an email from Brennan, uh, Brennan here. This is the weekly checkup, which is a product decision you have to make within your product to say, every week there's like something we should be telling our customers about their own use of the product. I call it the get you promoted email. Why is this? Because um, once a customer said, hey, I'm trying to buy it. My boss needs an ROI calculation. Can you do that for me? Like, yeah, sure, I'm a math guy. So I did one. I'm like, wait, it's positive. Why don't I do that for everybody? Um, but I gave her the ROI calculation, and it made them so much money, it put the boss's kid through Harvard, apparently, that she got a promotion out of it. Like, getting your customer promoted is a great way to make sure they are there for you next month. Um, so I should get as many customers promoted as possible. Brennan does it very well, where he tells you, you know, last week you made, yeah, last week as a freelancer, you made 2,000 bucks after working 10 hours. Nobody opens their inbox Monday morning and says, I made, Email that says, I made 2,000 bucks last week. Oh, dang, I didn't want to hear that email. No, everyone loves hearing they made money. I mean, PayPal made a business off of you got money, right? So high perceived value to this email, high uh, engagement with it. People will open this email every week and read every line in it because it's always that little dopamine rush on their Monday morning. 
or their Friday afternoon. And it gives Brennan an opportunity to embed both you know, a bit of an announcement here and maybe even an upsell to something else that he's making for freelancers. And I'll guarantee you that increases customer lifetime value. And this makes the ROI discussion that they have every month where can I afford this $199 a month product or this $499 a month product or this $1,000 a month product? Makes that discussion totally academic because they, you know, they've been forwarding these emails around to their boss every week for the, last, for the last four weeks saying, boss, I'm totally killing it. So get that feeling of totally killing it for your customer because it'll totally kill it for you too. So another thing you can build on your dashboard, build a way to have insight into what any particular single customer is doing with your application. Um, this is very boring, but I just have you know, a simple thing that says a few basic uh, stats about a customer. Let's me see their last 50 appointments, uh, anonymized obviously, so I don't you know, inflict a HIPAA violation on myself, because that would suck. And then shows me their usage history every month for forever. And so this customer has been with me a while, his usage is going up and to the right, so their business is succeeding. So question for you. What happens if I get an email one day that says, uh, we attempted to charge you know, Bob's credit card, and it was declined? Bob has been with me for the last 16 months. He's paid me $435. I should give Bob a phone call and make sure that Bob you know, updates his credit card. And it's very easy. Um, my thing revolves around telephone numbers, so I usually have Bob's telephone number on file already. But if not, you know, all of you folks are savvy internet users. If I told you uh, Dr. James Anderson from Libertyville, Illinois is using your products but just canceled today, can you find his phone number? Yeah, you've got that on like five seconds on the Googles, right? So just give him a call and say, hey, Bob, um, I'm the CEO of the company you use for the appointment reminders for all your patients. Saw your credit card charge didn't go through this morning, and I was uh, worried about the system like shutting you out. So uh, do you want to give me the updated version of the card? Boom. You save that, you get the next $400 of uh, money. And Bob will talk about you to all of his friends. Because usually when you get a, get a phone call like that, it's from some support rep at AT&T who's going to charge you a penalty thing. And you're like, no, I would never charge you a penalty. We would never lock you out of your account. I just wanted to make sure that stuff didn't break for your business. They'll love you for it. Even if they're not like established customers, um, I don't do this. For, I probably should do it for anybody who cancels or has any sort of problem. but. I'm time constrained, and when I have to call Bob, it usually means I have to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning to do it. So I only do it for folks who are a bit established. But absolutely everybody should get a Dunning email repeated a few times. And Dunning email is kind of a term of art for just the where's my money email. Here's the subject line. Action required. Appointment reminder could not renew your subscription. It's just like copywriting to say, you know, I don't want to be like AT&T or a build collector and bust your kneecaps over this. I understand we're all busy, and sometimes the credit cards, they don't work out how we wanted them to. But I get to the point ASAP in bold. We tried to bill you. It didn't work. You should probably update your credit card. Prominent link to that. I give them a three-day grace period so that it never causes a problem in their business when there's just you know, a minor hiccup like this. And um, after the three-day grace period, if they actually get locked out and you know, they're not important enough to you to give them a phone call, at least give them a courtesy email saying, OK, we understand. We weren't the right choice for you. So we took the liberty of pausing your account. And that thing will, um, you know, some, sometimes folks, eh, they're a little too busy to read your three Dunning emails that you've already sent them. But when, when you pause their account, whoo, that will get their uh, action in a hurry, especially if you're actually creating value for them. For many SaaS customers, they, like, they sign up, they use their service, but they're not actually like, using your service. And maybe pausing the account isn't the worst thing in the world for them. 
eh, they're worth money, but you're not, you don't really want to have them as customers, right? Like you don't want to be on the next Netflix model where your, custom, where your company is only profitable if no one actually uses your service. So you can let them fall by the wayside. But for the people who are actually like using it and getting value out of it, make it as easy as possible that some stupid financial chicanery does not turn off that value for them. Okay. So this wasn't planned for my talk, but I've been talking to a bunch of people in the hallway track, and I keep hearing, I'm a consultant, and I hate it, and I want to quit consulting. So how do you quit consulting? We'll give you an example. I quit consulting. And that isn't, you know, it's that easy. It's a little harder. We'll talk about the harder part. But I did a lot of consulting last year, and because of something that happened in the last three months, I hereby formally quit consulting. I'm never doing it again. And thank you, MicroConf folks, for talking me through this one. And so you're asking, you know, if I was ridiculously happy doing consulting and it generated over $100,000 in revenue last year, why am I quitting so suddenly? The last two to three months really sucked. I can't tell you why they really sucked, because it involves a Fortune 500 megacorp and an NDA, which if you sprinkled holy water on it, would burst into flames. And their legal department got like voted out of the axis of evil for being too damn scary. <laughs> but MicroConf is like the happy, positive bootstrappers conference. So instead of talking about Fortune 500 Megacorp and the various ways they screwed me, um, we'll, we'll talk about like happy forward-looking things of how you can either make your consulting business better or get out of it if it's not what you want to be doing and get back to like the you know, living, loving, and learning. Why would I want to quit consulting? A lot of people say, especially in the tech sphere, well, consulting doesn't scale. You want to be in a product business, because product businesses scale. Um, consulting doesn't scale is horse bucky. Like, there's billion-dollar consulting businesses. There's a lot of ways to scale consulting. Either you just continue moving your rate up, like, you know, I increased my rate from $100 an hour when I started out to, uh, man, if I sent out invoices for 30000 a week. Uh, that's one way of scaling things. I, when I put an invoice to the Fortune 500 Corp, I quoted them you know, about a quarter of a million dollars. And that might have happened, so that's scaling. Um, you can hire people. Was the ding like a, you're running out of time ding or a ding like ding ding? Just an accident. OK, good. Whew, we got a lot to get through. Um, you can improve your utilization at the margin. Like if you're not just if you're not all that wonderful about managing the business and you're spending too much time prospecting, if you just get better at business and you move up the amount of time you're successfully charging people from 50 to 60 percent, then your revenue just went up by 20 percent, and that compounds with increasing the um, increasing the rate you're charging or hiring people and subbing things out to them. But so why would you really want a consulting to quit consulting? There's always a rat race in consulting. You have to continue getting new clients and servicing old clients. Um, by the way, if you can successfully transition your consulting business less from constantly getting new clients and more towards recurring relationship with old clients, that's a great way to de-stress. All my consulting friends would tell you that. Um, I would have been a heck of a lot less stressed the last three months if I was you know, working with Fog Creek or WP Engine again versus trying to get the you know, new next rung at the Fortune 500 company. Consulting involves lots and lots of unpaid administrative time, like you know, sending out contracts, talking to lawyers, something that in no day during my life have I woken up out of bed and I'm like, ah, I want to have breakfast with my life and then a wife and then promptly leave her and talk to a lawyer about some contract negotiation because mm, that's what I found fun today. No. Um, and you have a boss and you have to go to work every day and there's like planning meetings and none of the fun stuff that we actually like, right? So how do you cons so if you want to quit consulting, 
why don't you replace it with a, uh, replace it with a software business? Because this is microconf, right? Well, um, here's why I wouldn't. Because year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, year seven, I'm now on year eight of Bingo Card Creator. I'm pretty good at this business stuff. Maybe I wasn't like over here, but I was pretty good over here. Notice how spiky this stuff is. Like every you know um, summer when school's out for summer and the teachers stop paying for teaching bingo cards, my income goes like whoom, and I would be thrown into the bread line at the welfare office. Which ask me for the welfare office story later. Uh, I mean, I don't love white guys in Japan. What can I say? Anyhow. Um, but yeah, unpredictable income is a bad thing as a business owner. Why don't you replace it with a SaaS business? So this again, it took me years and years and years to 8x this business. Um, and many of you will do it faster than me, because uh, you're smarter than me. But again, uh, Gail Goodman had a great talk about business software last year. She called it the long, slow SaaS ramp of death. And that is so true. Like Rob said, um, it took him six months to get his head around marketing something. I have, worked at, I have worked at clients that have multi tens of millions of dollars a year in revenue, and it said, they will tell you, you know, it took us four years, seven years, to really get our head around the engine of growth for this business and then start scaling it. And you might not want to consult for the next four to seven years. So given that you are already a successful consultant, what can you do that will accelerate your exit out of the consulting business in the next, you know, several weeks to several months kind of time frame, if that is what you want to do with your life. Productize your consulting service, which means you take an engagement that you have delivered to a lot of people, something that you know you can do and you can create value with, and you just take the you out of that and deliver that as a product to people. That can be something like an ebook, like Nathan Berry has, where Nathan Berry was a successful consultant who did mobile app designs and web app designs for some you know, pretty uh, well-regarded companies. He's like, I can teach other people to do mobile app design and web app design, and then I don't have to actually be in the room and do all of the PSD voodoo. Uh, PS Photoshop? Yeah. PSD, PST. Sorry, they sound the same. Um, yeah, uh, so you can do a training event or a seminar where you teach people how to do what you do. Sell this productized consulting offering through email, like we've been talking about so much this conference, offer a variety of price points, and this way, you can make several gigs worth of money in a very quick time frame relative to attempting to grow a SaaS business. And you can use this to like kind of fuel the growth of your SaaS business if you want to. That's certainly what I did for Appointment Reminder. Um, one of the reasons why you know didn't go to, without loss of generality, Sequoia or Paul Graham or anybody and say, hey, could you front me a million dollars and I'll grow Appointment Reminder while it's not quite all that um, great yet, is I have this option where I can just make money and then not have to give up control of the uh, business or my life to any outside investor. Which, um, you know, there's many reasons, great reasons to take investing, it just wasn't the right fit for me. So, um, back in like 2010, 2011, the most common thing that happened at my consulting clients was they would tell me, we're talking about the business, we don't do any email, can you fix that for us? The answer is yes, I'm a consultant, I can do pretty much anything you want me to. And I would implement trip marketing, like we talked about during my 2012 Microsoft MicroConf talk, so I won't talk about it too much right now. And I implemented lifecycle emails, like we just talked about. And this generally required you know, a lot of talking to the customer to say, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, it's not spammy. Don't worry. Your users won't hate you, yada, yada. Spend about two weeks of talking to stakeholders in the company to get them on board with it. 
spend about one day of coding up some sort of uh, you know ghetto version of uh, of uh, Rob's drip app or Nathan's uh, convert kit and just you know hooking it up to the web server and then spend a few days like I did with uh, Jason about you know writing uh, the first copy for their email campaign and he didn't go on it I'm not really a great copywriter, but I was the guy in charge of implementing it, so I had to, right? Instead of doing that, here's how you can do it for a productized consulting. First, I'd go to the people who already find me credible about this sort of thing and say, hey, this is what I, you know, if you hired me and paid me a ridiculous amount of money, this is the first thing I'm going to tell you to do, do email, because it works really, really well. And I teach them how to implement the kind of stuff that I would implement for them by themselves. And that would require selling them on the value of email, but I can do that at scale via an email campaign, blog posts, yada, yada, rather than talking to their CEO individually for multiple hours at a time. And I could show them SaaS products that I can recommend and programming techniques so that they can give any of their smart engineers or product people the tools they need to you know, take this and run with it. And I can teach them to do the copywriting, or I can find somebody to teach them to do the copywriting. Like one of the things I did was partner with Joanna and say, hey, Joanna, can you, you know, help for this and uh, teach folks how to do copywriting for email subject line. She was like, ooh, I'm all over that. We'll talk about that in a little a bit. So why, as a customer, would you buy this when you, know, you can go to me and get like, the filet mignon offering and have me fly out to your country and do consulting at your office? Well, A, it's a whole heck of a lot cheaper. Uh, at the most expensive, this was like $500 to uh, buy the course that I uh, offered versus you know, a fairly typical consulting engagement would be like 20,000 bucks. Because it's, uh, and also, um, I never did consulting as a full-time thing. I never did more than about 10 weeks or so in a year. So I, and I got prospected on consulting offerings, um, sorry, people would ask me to consult for them approximately 600 times a year. So 590 of them got told, nope, sorry, can't do it, no time. Or you're not a great fit for me or whatever. But for some of them I could say, look, I don't have enough time to fly out to uh, Vienna, Austria, but you can buy this thing. Also. For consulting, you know, you have to have mutual availability. I have to have a week where I can fly out to you, and you have to have a week where you can clear your product team schedule and clear the marketing guy schedule and maybe clear the CEO schedule because you've got a high-priced consultant in the room. And for a lot of fast-moving companies, that's very difficult. Whereas if you buy this, you can consume it at your own pace, implement it whenever you're ready to implement it. It's also a cheap, easy way to test the waters for, uh, from a client's perspective. It's like, man, I don't know if I trust email marketing enough to greenlight $20,000, but 500 is what we spend on toilet paper in a month. So yeah, that's easy. That is, by the way, um, directionally what a company that has 300 employees spends on toilet paper. Anyhow, so if you're a client, why would you buy this over getting it for free on the internet? This is something that as uh, penny-pinching entrepreneurs like Erica was talking about, we often have this reservation. One thing is that for-profit businesses spend money to alleviate problems, and it is just the nature of the beast. Another reason is that uh, this is free if you have two weeks to research it. Isn't free because employees have salaries, and they have to get paid every two weeks. And employees' salaries are huge amounts of money. Like if you're paying an engineer market rates, they get um, their fully loaded cost for a business is twenty thousand a month. That means if they're you know just reading free blog posts and free Twitter guides and reading you know, through every presentation Hinton has already done, for two, has done in his entire life for two weeks, that costs the business $10,000 in cash money. That's like $10,000 worth of free EA. Um, so not really free to them. And also within a company, um, as a consultant, I'm sure all the consultants in the room can appreciate this one, sometimes one of the biggest problems is getting everybody on the same page and making sure that this thing that you want to do to create value for them 
getting all the internal objectors out of their objecting status. And if you say, I saw this great blog post on the internet, and I really want to change our marketing strategy around, for, um, uh, around that idea that this kid in Japan had, a lot of people at $10 million a year software companies will say, <laughs> yeah, as if, no. But if you say, look, I paid $500 for this course on uh, lifecycle email marketing. I'm going to start implementing it today. Your boss will be like, oh, yeah, $500. Clearly, it's valuable, right? Because you spent $500 on it. OK, so the key to marketing, your productized consulting offering, is that you start building an email list a few months in advance. Raise your hand if you do not already have an email list. OK, so all of you folks. I'm going to ask that question at MicroConf 2014, and please don't have your hands up then. Because clearly, this did not work between 2012 and 2013, but don't fail me next year. Um, spend 75% of your time on that email list teaching people, convincing them to trust you, actually creating value in their businesses and in their lives, and only the last like 25% of trying to sell them things. This is kind of just a magic formula. It works for a lot of people. Um, Nixon and Brendan, if you're on their email lists, they don't do like pitch, 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 pitch. They send you all sorts of valuable things. And then only once in a while, it's like, hey, I'm giving you the opportunity to buy this thing. Uh, for me, like I, um, you know, I sent three emails before I even breathed a word of there is a potential commercial transaction in here. And one of those three emails, like a I got an email from a CMO at a Valley-funded company that has multiple tens of millions of dollars of sales. It's like, he didn't call it email number two, but it was email number two. And it just gave him some ideas on how to sell it to big freaking enterprises. It's like, I turned this email around in the last two days into $500,000 of license sales. Guess who bought the course when it got debuted a few months later? Yeah. And I only sent two sales emails ever to this list. And those emails sent folks to a long copy page. I'm going to show you my long copy. And I just want to say the objective of showing you my long copy is not to get you to scroll to the bottom and buy it. Now, that would be true if like, you were the target customer, but you're not. I'm only showing you this as an example. The product, you can actually have it for free. I'll tell you about that later. But long copy. Um, so I tweeted out an example when Joanna was doing her thing. If you've never seen long copy, go to uh, buymycrappyebook.com, and somebody has a parody of it. But here's like less parody version. Oh, wait, shoot. Sorry, I get people on an email list, so I have to give them some reason why they would want to get email from me, because not everybody knows who I am. Sent them to a squeeze page at uh, training.calzumius.com, and I said, I'll give you a 45-minute 45 um, 45 deep dive into the topic of uh, optimizing the first run experience of your application if you sign up for my email list. And then every week to two weeks or month, I'll send you something else that you'll uh, find interesting. And I only mentioned this. I put a hello bar on my blog. I tweeted about it once or twice. Other people picked it up. And uh, might have ended up on Hacker News once. But that is like not a prerequisite. You don't have to be internet famous to build an email list. Um, many of the folks who totally came out of nowhere in the last year would just put it up, tweet about it, and maybe get picked up on Hacker News because it's something of uh, intense interest to programmers. And they get 500 signups in a day or whatever. So sending folks to this. Uh, long copy page. Why is it called long copy? This is about 2,000 words. This is the first of five slides on this topic. Um, I'm pretty loquacious in my blog post, but I kind of killed it for this one. So um, long copy, you can read along with this or read along at your own pace at lifecycleemails.com. Again, do not buy it. I will refund you, and that will cost me money if you buy it. So don't buy it. Um, but 
establish the value proposition very early on. Savvy software companies make great use of email, copywriting technique. If you say savvy people do something, and people are not doing that something, they will want to become savvy, or they want to become more successful, or whatever your good adjective is. So they will be biased towards trying that thing out that you have identified. And by the way, savvy software companies do use email. The ones that are making like kajillions, that, this is one major reason why. That's why so many of the presenters have told you use email so much. Um, subheads, I'm not going to read any of the like, regular you know, font size 10 text. You can read it for yourself. One of the tricks to long copy is that even if you don't read any of it, just reading like the bolded parts should tell you the entire story. So I'll just like read the bolded parts. I made a kind of outlandish pr promise earlier, and it was a promise dedicated to one of the problems people have. Like they don't send email now. If I ask all of you, why don't you send email already? Raise your hand if this is your objection. I've heard about email works really well, but I don't want to be a spammer. Anybody feel that? Yep, got a hand in the back. Got more hands all over the place. All right. So the very first, and I know this, I felt it in my bones. I didn't send email for six years because I was afraid of being a spammer. So I know my customers are dealing with that objection. Very first thing I told to them, you will delight your customers and make unreasonable amounts of money through email. You won't be a spammer. They will be happy to get it every day. And then I deliver on that promise. And I tell them about how email can increase their sales by 10%. And the only purpose of these, of these blue things is to get people continuing to read the rest of it have intriguing copywriting, like the word unreasonable. You know, who goes up to you and says, I'm going to make you an unreasonable amount of money? Like I could, I could say, I'm going to make you a lot of money. That's kind of boring. I'm going to make you unreason unreasonable amount of money, unbelievable amount of money. Um, I'm kind of a geek. I'll own it. I often use like Dungeons and Dragons inspired metaphors. Uh, one that I've used in copywriting for some clients somewhere talked about like do X and your company is going, your company will be richer than a dragon sleeping on a pile of gold coins. Uh-oh. Oh, it's back. OK. So um, since this is you know, how to do an info product to quit your consulting career, use a case study from your consulting career, because you're distilling this out of your own experiences, right? So my case study was distilled out of an engagement that I did for Jason Company, WP Engine. Um, it was right about the time when the sales went like woo up and to the right, although I I'm totally not claiming credit for that. They had a whole lot else going on at the time. Um, and uh, so you know, go to one of your happy clients and say, hey, can I just write about you on my website? Do you know like, nobody in the world is like, oh, free publicity. I hate that. Please don't talk about me ever. Unless you do SEO consulting, don't do SEO consulting. Um, Copywriting-wise, even though it's like texty, 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 you can like, break it up with images and whatnot. This is just a fairly simple image that I mocked up in paint.net in 10 minutes to kind of give the visual learners in the audience a bit to hang their hat on rather than reading my 10,000 words. And again, we got a personal testimonial from Jason here with a call out. Um, I went to Jason and I said, look, and I totally, was totally upfront with this. I said, Jason, I want to use the uh, experience of our engagement with WP Engine to get more business from me. So I'd like to get a testimonial from you. Would it be OK if I said something to the effect of, I gave Jason a very explicit testimonial, including like a number of how much money it had made his company. And Jason was like, ah, I'm not comfortable with like saying that number publicly. And he re rewrote the testimonial in his own words. And I just copy pasted it right here. It's like, it permanently moved the needle on signups. That's totally money if you're talking to any sort of SaaS company, right? That is all that they want to buy. And it's uber credible, because that isn't coming from me. 
you know, little unknown guy in the middle of Japan. I don't have, despite being like internet famous, not all CMOs at uh, $10 million software companies know who I am, but they generally do know who Jason is. And if he trusts me enough on top of email to have cut me a big check and have awesome results for it, then shouldn't they cut me a very small check and have awesome results as well? Yes. So customers have, a, have objections of reasons why they're not doing this thing already, right? That's why you're trying to sell them on making that change in their life. Answer those objections. So I had one, like I quoted at some point in here that you can make $200 per email you send. That's an almost outlandish claim, right? We already told you how to make $200 per email you send with lifecycle emails. Just try to get people to upgrade to annual billing. But I said, I'm going to work it out in excruciating detail, using latex, no less, what the math is. That sounds pretty credible if you're an engineering type who's worked his way to CEO of a multinational software company. So I acknowledge those objections. And another objection, like a lot of software people are kind of skeezed out by info products. I am skeezed out by info products. I was so skeezed out, I didn't even want to launch this. And it took some like, convincing of myself and talking to friends to say, no, this is a legitimate thing to do, like, just like consulting was. So my subhead is, why sell this advice at all? Isn't that like internet marching? Internet marketing douchebaggery, or sleazebaggery. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, Vegas is making me crass. Uh, Amy Hoy, on reading this, said, I can smell the guilt off this sentence, but got over it. You should also get over it. Talk to all the folks in this room who create lots of value for lots of people if you are scared about selling things, because you are not the internet marketing sleazebags. And finally, told them in detail not what they were like, there's a chapter list down here that you can like click this button and get every chapter that would be in the course to tell them exactly what they get. But that's less important to them on exactly like what physically is delivered. They want to, you know, they're not buying the product, they are buying the outcome. So the outcome of taking this is that they're going to decrease their churn rate. They're going to increase their uh, average uh, revenue per customer. They're going to this, this, and this if they take my advice. So I lead with that and then substantiate that with, and here's how I'm gonna teach you how to do that. So, you know, uh, the course is actually delivered over video, and it was available in a lot of different formats. You could download it. It was non-DRM'd and whatnot. All of those facts are less important than change it's going to make in your business. And then I'll talk about the formatting details and the fact that it's you know, an MOV file with MP3 files downloadable later on the page. OK, pricing. Can anyone remember my all-purpose pricing advice? Charge more? Yes. For info products as well, charge more. For your consulting services, charge more. For your SaaS, charge more. Uh, does anyone sell something that is not a product or SaaS or software or consulting? Anybody in the room? Oh, there's probably people with mobile apps. Ooh. Mobile apps kind of suck on that dimension. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but for all the rest of you, charge more. So um, packaging is important for info products. You give people multiple ways to buy essentially the same thing. So, I didn't really have much time in my schedule to develop many different variants of the product, so I only made two. One is you can take the video course by yourself, or you can download the video course and like put it on your own internal network share or Dropbox or whatever so that everybody or company can view it. And it's not DRM'd, so any company could have done that anyhow. But because they're software companies and they care about you know, not infringing my copyright, I said, look, I totally trust you, but if you're a company, please pay me four times as much. 5% of the people paid me four times as much. So that's 20% of the revenue for writing, uh, what, this took me maybe 60 seconds to add on to the page? 
Can I give an example from another person who was at this talk? Nathan Berry is, as the title says, an effing genius. Um, Nathan Berry does some of the best work in packaging. So read his blog about it, a packaging being delivering products of a similar nature and um, you know, figuring out what features go into them and then what price is appropriate for that package. So when he wrote designing web applications, there were three packages at $249.99 and $39. But the sales page for it, which is a work of art, and he's you know, a good design guy, so he's not using my ungodly wall of text. Um, but it focuses, it's linear. So at any time, you're not seeing all the stuff uh, positioned against each other. You're just like looking at one possible option for you, starting with the expensive one, BTW, like star that, that's important. Um, but uh, it's linear, and it just focuses on all the value you are getting in return for this price. And if you're ready for that, boom, you click buy. If not, like, man, 249 a little steep. You scroll down a little, and it shows you, all right, I got a different value proposition. It's only 99 now. You get a little less. And then you're like, eh, you scroll down a little. It's like, all right, got a different value proposition. You get just the bare bones basics, but it's $49 and affordable on any budget. So how did this work out for Nathan? Uh, I just stole this directly off his blog because he's very, very transparent about it. Packaging is a huge, huge win. So the book alone sold you know, uh, about $8,000. It's a pretty happy result for something that presumably did not take him six months to develop. And the book and the videos sold a little more than that. But then the complete package sold a lot. And if you look at you know, the stacked bar chart here, more, more packages equals more money. Um, almost always true up until like five, three to five. After that, it gets a little confusing. But um, just adding those additional packages greatly increased the value of this to Nathan and to his customers versus just offering it all in at the $49 price. And don't be afraid to charge too much. I mean, some of those customers turn this around into you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue for their business. So they're not disappointed about paying $249 or anything. Right? OK. So I talked about the marketing and the sales side. What about the actual product? Because that's obviously important. Um, just like a consulting engagement is fundamentally just I come to your office and talk to you and type stuff into your computers, a productized consulting engagement is fundamentally just I look into a camera and I talk. And you listen to that, and you learn something from it. And you know it's not very difficult. There's no rocket science in that. I have a webcam attached to my Dell. I bought a $60 uh, uh, microphone because people told me when I did the free video that my Dell's microphone was absolutely terrible. I'm not an audiophile. I can't hear the difference, but apparently audiophiles can really hear the difference. So I bought you know the best rated thing from one of my podcasting buddies. And I just loosely scripted each of these videos. Said, all right, I'm going to be talking about drip email marketing. I can do that standing on my head. So here's the bullet points I want to hit. And I hit them. And I took these you know, several hours of video and sent it to my uh, video editor to get cleaned up. Ask me later about working with a video editor. That's a little bit frustrating. But um, it cost me about $3,000. And it could have gotten done cheaper for Odesk if any of you are worried about like upfront investment. Uh, I hosted the videos on Wistia. And I rolled my own delivery platform because I was really jonesing for a Ruby on Rails project because I hadn't done any like hardcore greenfield programming in a while, and I wanted an excuse to do it. Um, you probably shouldn't do that. Just use Gumroad or whatever Nathan or Brennan would recommend to you because uh, it obviously works, right? And that's the least important part of the puzzle. No, no customer was like, man, I was on the fence about buying this. But then I found that you, know, you coded a Stripe webhook, and boom, that made the sale. Never happened. Um, 
And I went to folks with related interests, which added value to customers at vanishingly little work for me. What does that mean? Well, I went to Joanna and said, hey, Joanna, um, we hadn't really been internet friends or much of anything at that point, but I had read her stuff and really liked it and was a previous customer of her copy hacking book. I said, Joanna, I really like um, how you think about writing copy. And I write copy for emails, and I'm not really loving it. Uh, but I'm doing this thing about the lifecycle emails. I'm very good about scheduling them and programming them. The copywriting, I'm a little bit weak on, and I don't have total confidence that I can teach people to do this. Would you be willing to you know, write a little something for that to teach them how to do it? And Joanne was like, get exposed to your audience? Heck yes, I will do that. And so that happened. Um, also, you know, harken back to Nathan's talk, he put together a lot of products by just going out to people and interviewing for them for the product about their area of expertise. Um, Another way to do it is, you know, I was making SaaS recommendations of things that I had already used for consulting clients. I would just go to somebody at all of the SaaS companies that I used and say, hey, um, you know, Postmark, uh, the folks at Wildbit, I love your product. I've used it to awesome uh, success at three consulting clients. Uh, so tell you what, there's this thing happening. I'm going to release this thing that is going to teach people how to do lifecycle emails, which is your entire business. Can you give me some coupon codes to give to them uh, so that I can get you some new customers for free? Do you know how many companies told me, please don't send us new customers for free? Nobody. So got lots of free coupon codes. And then after having that discussion, I said, uh, by the way, I'm also kind of a good writer. You have a blog. Um, I don't know anybody who has you know, too many great articles on their blog. Would you mind if I wrote on your blog about how to use lifecycle emails to awesome extent in a software business? And all of them were like, you charge $20,000 a week for consulting, but you're willing to write for me for free for you know, just putting a little link at the end saying he's got a thing coming up? We're totally on that. So that worked out pretty well. So funny story about the revenue. Uh, launch day, I just sent an email out, and that email managed to make it out to Hacker News because I'm a little known there. Uh, that made $12,000 in revenue. Again, being known on Hacker News, totally not a prerequisite because the email is the main like, driver of these things. When I just sent two weeks later a reminder the sale ends today, that I sent a, it was like two week, uh, you know, half off sale for it because I wanted to give people a bonus for being early adopters. So I just sent everybody an email. If you were on the fence about it, um, it's open till tomorrow. That, like, was literally better, uh, just being in five thousand people's inboxes than being on the top of Hacker News for a day. Uh, so, email, it's where it's at. And the total today of this product. Uh, this product took about as much work for me to launch as a consulting gig, but created maybe two or three consulting gigs worth of revenue and didn't require any sort of unpaid overhead like the contract negotiation or even flying out to America to deliver the consulting. So it was a total win. Um, and you know, I think appointment reminder will honestly be paying my way and I won't need to do this too much in the future. I'll only do it if I have something to say and want to do it, but this would totally have paid my way out of the consulting rat race even without SAS to support me. So it's an option for any of you who are still in the rat race, um, either in combination with SAS, like uh, Nathan and Brennan do, or as a standalone thing. Okay, so the keys to product success, just review, email, email, email. Target a pain point that you know customers are having. Um, again, if you're already consultants, you've been working with people and solving problems for their businesses, so you know what the pain point is. Just figure out how to massage that into a product offering. Work on the copy. I'm not very good on the copy. I was kind of painting by numbers, and the numbers I were painting for were something from Joanna, which is available at Copy Hackers, called like the art of long copy or something. Um, 
I don't remember what I spent on that book, but it must have made me at least 100 times more than that in sales. So buy that book. Don't buy my stuff, but buy her stuff, definitely. And um, so I will say the one thing about you know, internet marketing sleazebaggery, one of the reasons that internet marketers are often sleazebags is that they spend all of the effort on the marketing and sales side and nothing on the product. Especially as consultants and as you know, ethical folks, you only have one reputation. Don't just pump out crap. Um, like I was putting my name on this. I've worked for like eight years now to build my one reputation on the internet, and that would have been gone in a day if this was, you know, just like poorly produced crap that didn't actually create value for businesses. So didn't, I didn't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So for more details, you should be on my mailing list if you're not already at training.calzumius.com. For folks who are at microconf. Um, if you send me an email, I will give you the thing we just talked about for free, so you can use it to increase the, you know, uh, emails for uh, your SaaS businesses and whatnot. If you already bought it from me, I can't like physically give you back your money, but I'm probably going to do one of these on A/B testing and conversion optimization two months from now. Write me an email, then you'll get that for free instead. Thank you for listening. Here's my blog. Um, there's my Twitter. Um, I have something on my blog that, as a kind of introverted uh, engineer. When I was starting out, it didn't occur to me that you could just like write a letter, um, you know, write an email to Jason Cohen, and he would write back to you, because he didn't hate doing that. Because um, as an introvert, I think you know, an email must be an imposition. So um, it's very clear on my website. Email to me is not an imposition. I want to talk to any of you about any of this or any other topic about your businesses anytime you want to talk. I think this community is awesome. I think that we all support each other in uh, you know, achieving our goals personally and for our businesses and for our families. And I want to give back to like the people who have uh, helped me along the way. So thank you very much. And I'll be happy to take your questions. Thanks for joining us again this week. I hope you enjoyed that talk from Patio 11. We'll be back next week with the fifth and final talk of our top five rated talks of all time. Again, these are in a best of microconf playlist in our YouTube channel if you want to see any of the visuals. And once we're done with these top five, we're going to dig into another list we have of talks that are that are highly rated and that are aimed at, at founders like yourself who are trying to level up and they cover you know a broad range of, of topics. Some of them are going to be extremely tactical like this one was and others will be about staying sane while you're starting up and others will be uh, more frameworks and storytelling and pulling out uh, actionable insights, strategies, tactics with some inspiration mixed in. So thank you again for joining me today and I'll talk to you next week.